ever done before. I'm going to ask Mary Jo if you would come up and pray for me. Um, sometimes, you know, Satan just uses amazing devices to uh, bring us down. And um, I need prayer this morning. So would you pray for me? This is my fellow warrior. And I don't know what I'd do without her. I don't know what we would do without her. Well, you've asked the weak to pray for the strong this morning. <laughs> so that's how it works, isn't it? Heavenly Father, we come to you with these songs we sang today. Lord, you are everything to us. And we just ask you, Father, that you would strengthen us in our weakness, Lord, this day. That you would move the mountains that you say, that the obstacles that are in our way, Lord. We, we just give them to you. We surrender, oh God, to you this day. And then we ask that you would fill us this day with your Holy Thank Spirit. You, Lord. That Thank you would you. guide and direct our Thank words, you. our steps, our actions this day, Lord. Surrendering to you, Lord, that your will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you, God, that you care about every detail. So I pray you would strengthen my sister, that thank you would you, build Lord. her up in thank your you. word, Lord, in your strength, oh God. And I just thank you, Father, that you've already begun such a good work here in this Wellsburg church, Lord, that you are faithful and promises thank are you. true and righteous. So, Lord, I just pray for Faith this morning that you would build her up, that she's walking in you, Lord, in your assurance and in your ways. In Jesus' name, the name above all names, thank you, the Lord. glorious thank praise, you, Lord. the name thank of you, Lord. Jesus, we pray Jesus. this day here in thank Welford Jesus. Church, in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you that when we are weak, you are strong, and your strength is perfected in our weakness. And I pray for my sister, Mary Jo, that you would lift her up and strengthen her in spirit mind, body, soul, emotions, body, every fiber of her being. We pray for strength. I pray that you would quicken her mortal body by your spirit that dwells in her according to your word. In Jesus' name, we pray and agree together. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So short. <laughs> Thank you. Um. Okay, so before uh, I dismiss the kids, I um, have a story that is just too good to not share with you, but it's actually not my story. It's someone else's story, and I, it so inspired me and encouraged me that I want you to hear it. So Quinlan, if you are still willing, would you come on up? Quinlan had something happen to her, uh, and, and she recently gave her life to the Lord, and uh, I know that this is, a this is the fruit. What happened to her and how she responded to this situation is the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in her life and enabling her to do something that none of us could do apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. So I told her I would help her tell her story. Um, so basically, Quinlan was, you were at a park, a playground, and was it your little cousin? Your, she was at a playground near her house, right, with your little cousin. And... They were, was it a group of girls? A group of girls just started bullying Quinlan and her cousin, like really bad. And words turned into actions, and eventually you were, you were on, the, on the ground, right? And they were hitting you, punching your head. Yeah, it got really bad. 
and uh, they had falsely accused her of saying something terrible that I know you would never say because your parents didn't raise you that way. I know this. <laughs> I know this. It's like I can't even imagine that. So it was a false accusation. They invented this thing and then used that to really literally beat her up. And so a policeman saw what happened, or did someone call the police? Someone called the police. The police came and went to the girls, went to the girls, and, and uh, the option was there to press charges, right? Now, look, I can tell you, if this were my kid, the, the mama bear claws are going to come out, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And so, um, but what did you tell the police you, you wanted to do? She told the police she wanted to forgive these girls. Was there any more? I, I told you you wouldn't have to talk. I just know that she, she made the choice and was the message sent to them that you were forgiving them? Did, they got that message, didn't they? Yeah, have they bothered you since? Probably not, right. So, you know, I wanted to share that because there is a time, there is absolutely a time to run from your abuser. I, you, we have to understand that because sometimes the most loving thing you can do to an abuser is to turn them in and lock them up because then you're saving other people from that same suffering, right? So this is not, don't, conf, don't be confused. This is not some treatise on being a doormat. But Jesus did say, love your enemies. And this was a time where the Holy Spirit empowered Quinlan to rise up and be Jesus to these girls and show them there's a better way. There is a better way. There is a better way to live. We can love each other. We can love each other. We can rise above the pain of our enemies and, and let the Lord love people through us. And that was amazing. You let God do that through you. It wasn't you. It was God in you, wasn't it? Thank you for sharing your story with us. Amen. All right. Okay, with that, the kids can be dismissed to Kids Church. So today is the first day of what is commonly referred to in a lot of churches, the more liturgical, traditional churches, as Holy Week. It's actually my favorite week of the whole year for a lot of reasons. The springtime and then all the meaning of the holiday coming up and the power in that, all that that means for us. So with that, uh, we're going to have a Good Friday service this Friday. It'll be at 6.30. It's going to be short and sweet so you don't have to worry about driving home in the dark it probably will not, will not last more than, I don't know, a half an hour or 45 minutes at the most. We're going to sing some hymns about the cross, and we're going to have communion together, and it's going to be a beautiful, powerful time commemorating Jesus' death for us on the cross. And I want it to be a, a time of a lot of participation. So if you would like to help participate with a Good Friday service, read, read a passage of Scripture um, or, or share something, and I can, I can give you ideas. I can help you with that. Please let me know because I don't want it to be all me. I want it to be you. It's going to be our service. So that's this Friday at 6.30. Um, okay.
So today marks the first day of Holy Week, Palm Sunday. Let's talk about that very first Palm Sunday and all that that means. Um, this message I have today it has a key word. The key word is deliberate, deliberate humility. And I, I want to start off by telling you this is something the Lord is working out in my life. <laughs> and, you know, if we only preached the things where we have arrived, there would be no preachers. If we only wrote books about what we have already learned and attained, there would be no books. <laughs> Paul said in Philippians, he said, not that I have already attained, but I press on toward the goal. And he said, this one thing I do, I forget what's behind, and I keep pressing on. So if Paul himself could write about what he had not yet attained, and if he could preach about those things, then let's just keep encouraging each other, and let's be the first to say, I'm not here yet, but this is where I'm going. This is what I want in my life. So the title for this Palm Sunday sermon is Deliberate Humility. And let's see what that looked like. Uh, I'm in Matthew 21, Matthew chapter 21, reading from the New King James Version. And um, just to set this stage, this is a week before Jesus' death on the cross. Up until this time, Jesus has been keeping real low key. He's been kind of maintaining a very low profile and actually literally sometimes running and, and disappearing from the crowds because he knows that they are realizing he's the promised Messiah that has been prophesied. Over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament speak to the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. And they've seen, the crowds have seen his miracles and all that he's done, and he's just raised a man from the dead, and they know this is it. This is it. This is the Messiah. But up until this point, this day, this first Palm Sunday in history, he's kept a low profile because he knows that they've got a different idea about what it means to be a king. They, they're ready to give him a physical throne and set him up as the king of Israel, and they believe he's there to rescue and deliver them from Roman oppression, and that's it. So they're looking for a temporal earthly king, and so that's why he's, time and time again, when they want, to they want to make him king, he excuses himself and moves away from the crowds, and he goes, he kind of goes and retreats, because he knows he, he came for so much more than that, right? His, his kingdom is an invisible, eternal kingdom, and he came to save us, as I said, he came to save us from our sins, <laughs> right? That's the answer. That's the answer to the human condition. That's the answer to the, all the problems of the world boil down to the sin of the human heart. And that is what he came to save us from. So there's the backdrop of the story. It's a week before Jesus' death. And so in Matthew 21, verse 1, it says, now, when they drew near Jerusalem, this is Jesus and his disciples, and they came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. This 
plan of Jesus was very deliberate. He orchestrated and arranged it all ahead of time. He had this all arranged that this, these people would provide this donkey for him that had never been ridden upon, and he sort of gave the two disciples the passcode. If anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs him. In other words, the Lord's ready now, and they will know exactly what you're talking about. This was very deliberate on the part of Jesus, and that was for two reasons. Number one is he was fulfilling the prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. That was one of the reasons. So what was that prophecy? Verse 5. Tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. Now let's pause right there. Tell the daughter of Zion. Who's the daughter of Zion that Zechariah is talking about? Who is this daughter of Zion? Well, in scripture, Zion is referred to as a, as a uh, refers to God's people. It's God's people. And so, who are God's people? Well, they're Israel. Israel was God's chosen people, is God's chosen people, chosen by God to bless all the nations of the earth. That was his, his um, covenant with Abraham. But in Hebrews 12, 22, let's look at Hebrews 12, 22. Um, you, you, you can look, uh, it basic, I'll sum it up. Basically, you can look there later if you want, because I'm not going to read the whole entire thing for the sake of time. But in Hebrews chapter 12, starting right around verse 22, uh, the writer of Hebrews explains the fulfillment of Zion. He says, uh, he says, you haven't come to the mountain that may be touched. In other words, this is not just a physical mountain, Mount Zion, which, by the way, is in Jerusalem, was in Jerusalem. But you have come to Mount Zion, and he defines it. This is the fulfillment of the meaning of Old Testament Mount Zion. You have come to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. That's you and I who have been born again. And to the spirits of just men made perfect, those who have gone on uh, and into, into eternal life, those who have died and, and gone on. So, so when the prophet says, tell the daughter of Zion, Zion, he's saying, tell the people of God, tell the people of God, Israel and the church, the church, the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven. So this is a message to you and to me, and it's a message from a father because it says, tell the daughter of Zion. I want us to hear this, hear the heart of the father. This is a message, this, this message is a promise of rescue and rulership. From the heart of a father to his people, the daughter of Zion, his people, his people. Okay, so what's the message? Tell the daughter of Zion, Matthew 21, 5, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you. And how is he coming? Lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So there was a donkey and then there was a colt with her, as it says in uh, verse 2. This word lowly in the Greek, praus, praus, means a humility that is considerate, unassuming, gentle, mild, and meek. See, this is, Zechariah was giving the people a heads up. He's saying, look, your Messiah is coming, all right. Rescue's coming. 
deliverance is coming. A king is coming, and he's going to be riding on a donkey, which was okay because a donkey, unlike here, we look at a donkey as this, this stubborn work animal, right? Well, in this time and culture, a donkey was a symbol of royalty. Kings did ride into cities on donkeys, and it was a symbol of royalty. So that wasn't the issue, but what Zechariah is giving as a heads up in his prophecy is your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of the donkey. And in fact, see, Matthew, he leaves out a few words here. He's just summarizing, but if you turn back to the actual prophecy in Zechariah 9.9, the whole thing says this, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, O church, God's people. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, behold, your king is coming to you, is coming to you. He is just, oh, don't we need just rulership? <laughs> he is just and having salvation. See, this is a very different kind of king. No place in history has it ever been said of a king that he has salvation, not this kind of salvation. Yeah, maybe salvation from physical enemies, but salvation from yourselves, from your sin, from the human condition, from those things that eat at you from the inside. This is your king who's coming to you for that kind of salvation. And how is he coming? Lowly and riding on a donkey. So Jesus deliberately planned this, and he rode into Jerusalem as a very deliberate act of humility. Remember, I'm talking about deliberate humility this morning. And he did it, first of all, to fulfill the prophecy. It was a deliberate fulfillment of Zechariah's prophecy. But he also did it as a deliberate humbling of himself to show us, look, this is the kind of rulership, the kind of reign I have come to set up on the earth. And if you really want to rule and reign in life, if you really want to rise up above the, the, uh, all the evil that sin brings into the world and into your own life, if you really want to rule and reign in life, then you have to be like me, lowly and gentle. And you have to be deliberate about it. Sarah, do you have that picture? I rode a donkey once. Let's see if she can find that picture. There it is. I was 18 years old. I was on a missions trip to Haiti, and we had to make this 10-mile journey starting at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I still remember there's dear Moise, the older guy. That's his donkey, and he let our team borrow it, and we all sort of took turns because it was a long walk over rocky terrain. And it was okay. I mean, this is a beast of burden. I know, I know it looks like, wow, she's, they're going to kill that thing, but it, it was fine. <laughs> It really was. <laughs> I was a little nervous until they assured me this is okay. <laughs> uh, but there's something so humiliating about riding on the back of this beast. I felt it. I felt it. I felt very small, very physically lowly, low to the ground, and it was humbling to allow this poor beast to carry me. It really was. 
so you can kind of understand. Okay, thank you, Sarah. You can take that away now. You can kind of understand why Jesus would be so deliberate about riding a donkey and why Zechariah would intentionally point out, your king comes to you lowly and gentle and riding on a donkey. See, Jesus, that wasn't the first time he rode a donkey, you know, right? Jesus began his life on the back of a donkey. Before he was born, but he was a person, he began his life riding on a donkey. It was as though, and that was out of his control. He didn't choose it that time. That was the Father's doing. It was, this, it was as if God the Father was saying, look, I'm sending you into the world to rescue my people, and this is the way you are going to begin on the back of a donkey, lowly and gentle, and your life is going to begin in the most humblest of situations. You're going to be born with these animals in a manger, in a smelly cave with the animals in a stable. That's how you're going to start out because your whole entire life will be a demonstration of deliberate humility. Because your life is going to show people constantly that this is the only way to live. If you really want to be victorious over your enemies, like we heard, lowly and gentle. Lowly and gentle. Philippians 2, and I'm going to read, Sarah, do you have the, the NLT, the New uh, Living Translation? I want to read it in this to make it a little easier. Philippians 2, starting with verse 3, says this in the NLT, New Living Translation. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Okay, this is deliberate humility. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, that is, while he was here on earth. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. This is deliberate Humility. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. I want to talk more about that on Friday, exactly what that means for you and me and our relationships, to die a criminal's death. That's a whole other sermon. That's on Friday. He died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor, and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Deliberate humility. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. You see the pattern here? Jesus showed us the pattern. Jesus showed us the pattern. So if you deliberately humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, in due time, he will exalt you. Matthew 23, 12 says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, but whoever humbles himself will be exalted. 
Colossians 3.12 says, this is another deliberate act of humbling yourself. It says, put on as if putting on a cloak. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and, holy and beloved, uh, as it, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Well, you might say, okay, that's a good thing to think about, but how do I actually deliberately humble myself? Well, you ask the Lord. Lord, how do I deliberately humble myself? How, what does it look like for me to go and ride a donkey? <laughs> Lord, what would that look like for me? And he'll show you. For me, sometimes it's fasting. If you want a quick, quick way of deliberately humbling yourself, fast, fast. However that looks for you, however your body, your, your physical makeup can, whatever it can agree to without you dropping dead, <laughs> fast. I mean, I, there will be, when I'm at a place, and, and I can tell, and I, you can too, when it's like, you know, you're starting to get in your head, or maybe you're starting to get the big head, whatever, you know, and, and you're just full of yourself, and it's causing you to act out and have attitudes and, you know, bitterness and resentment and all the things that go with pride and not humility. Just fast. Go on a fast. Fasting is for what it does for you not some lucky charm, not, not to twist God's arm into giving you something. It's to humble yourself. It's a deliberate act of humbling yourself because what will happen is as you start to grow physically weak and you feel those hunger pains, it's a, a vivid reminder, God, I need you desperately. Without you, I'm going to fail big time. I need you. I need you. And now I feel, I literally feel my hunger for righteousness. What did Jesus say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And fasting somehow has a way that, that equates, causes our mind and heart to connect physical hunger with a hunger and thirst for righteousness. I don't really feel a hunger and thirst for righteousness when I'm full in any way, full of everything and all the stuff I think I want and need. So fasting is really good to help us feel that hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's a deliberate humbling. Another deliberate humbling of ourselves is communion. You notice we're never instructed to take communion by ourselves. We're not in Scripture. It's a corporate act. It's a communal act. It's a way of saying, hey, this is, Paul actually said, you all are bread. You are bread. You can read it in 1 Corinthians 11. You are one bread and one body. That's what Paul said. So just, we're, we, yes, we're remembering Christ's death, absolutely, but we are also realizing and recognizing as we receive the Lord's table together, I need you. I, I need you. And like it or not, you need me. <laughs> we need each other. God put us in the body because we're nourishment for each other, you know? And so that is a deliberate act of humbling ourselves when we receive communion with each other. And we're together realizing, wow, without the, without the blood of Jesus covering all of our sin, as we sing, we're in big trouble. Without realizing that Jesus took those lashes I would love to inflict on someone else or that someone has inflicted on me, Jesus bore that in his body. And we are remembering that together. Deliberate humility. I was talking to Mary Jo about foot washing. 
Some denominations do that as a sacrament. I've participated in it before. It's very powerful. There's something very, something so humbling about not, I think the humbling part is having someone wash your feet, not actually doing the washing. It will break you down, man. <laughs> it will break you down. I've, had, I've experienced it. It's very humbling to have someone wash your feet. Or you can just find in your daily life ways to deliberately humble yourself. As D.L. Moody did in his book, A Call to Excellence, Gary Ingrid writes this story about how a large group of European pastors came to one of D.L. Moody's Northfield Bible Conferences in Massachusetts in the late 1800s. Following the European custom of the time, each guest put his shoes outside his room to be cleaned by the hall servants overnight. But of course, this was America, and there were no hall servants. Walking the dormitory halls that night, Moody saw the shoes and determined not to embarrass his brothers. He mentioned the need to some ministerial students who were there, but was met with only silence or pious excuses. Moody returned to the dorm, gathered up the shoes, and alone in his room, the world's only famous evangelist at that time, began to clean and polish the shoes. Only the unexpected arrival of a friend in the midst of the work revealed the secret. When the foreign visitors opened their doors the next morning, their shoes were shined. They never knew by whom. Moody told no one, but his friend told a few people, and during the rest of the conference, different men volunteered to shine the shoes in secret. See, deliberate humbling of yourself does two things. Number one, it gives you access to the heart of a person in relationship. If you want access into someone's heart, if you want to gain trust, deliberately humble yourself. God may ask you to do it. The other thing it does is it produces the fruit of humility. See, a deliberate humbling of yourself is not the fruit, it's the action. But if you, you start doing that enough as a lifestyle, as unto the Lord, in obedience to him, the fruit of humility, that, that fruit of the Spirit, gentleness, long-suffering, kindness, that's all humility. It will start to uh, grow in your life. But only if you truly want it to. In his book, uh, Decoder of Dreams, Donald Campbell writes that Dr. Harry Ironside was once convicted about his lack of humility. A friend recommended as a remedy that he march through the streets of Chicago wearing a sandwich board, shouting the scripture verses on the board for all to hear. Dr. Ironside agreed to this venture, and when he returned to his study and removed the board, he said, I'll bet there's not another man in town who would do that. You will only produce the fruit of humility if you want God to do that in your life. We must want it. Deliberate acts of humbling ourselves are not enough without a, a true desire for the fruit of the Spirit to be produced in our life. 
So let's go back to Matthew. The disciples went and Jesus commanded them. Verse 7, Matthew 21, verse 7. They brought the donkey and the colt. They laid their clothes on them and set Jesus on the donkey. And a great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, just as we did this morning. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he came into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? Remember, there were a lot of travelers there because they were there for the Passover feast. So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. This word Hosanna is a cry of deliverance. It's not, it's not a cry of praise. It's a cry of desperation. Save us. Save us. And we all, all of us in life, are waving some kind of branch, crying out to God in some way. I mean, every single person, whatever God they think they know of, has this invisible branch crying out, somebody rescue me. Somebody rescue me. And also, somebody rule and reign over me, because if you are really wise, you understand I haven't done a very good job of being my own ruler, my own king or queen. <laughs> so Jesus came on a donkey, lowly and gentle. And the message of Palm Sunday is you want rescue? You want deliverance? Watch me. Follow me. And he said this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Through 30. These beautiful words, one of my life passages. Come unto me, all you who labor. Does anyone labor? And this can mean not just physical exhausting work, but I always refer to the I always refer to work as anything that gets you worked up. Anything that gets you worked up. If you labor, you don't have to be doing physical work to, be, to labor over. Don't we labor over all kinds of things in our head? This covers everything. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Anyone heavy laden this morning? Burdens, fears, cares, worries, hurts, frustrations, doubts. All you who labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. And just as it's not just a physical laboring, it's not just a physical rest. It's a complete rest of soul, spirit, and body. I will give you rest. And then he shows us how he's going to do it. He says, take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. His hearers of the day would have understood perfectly he's talking about a yoke of oxen. Jesus is the lead ox. We get yoked up with him, not with a wrong ox. If you're yoked with a wrong ox, you will drive yourself into the ground. Because that's what Satan does. He tricks us into make us, making us think it's a good thing to be exhausted. 
if God had to labor after six days of work and rest from his creation, it says that. He rested. God rested. That's the pattern. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls if you follow that. I wonder if when Jesus said this to the disciples, when he came to that part where he said, I am gentle and lowly in heart, I wonder if any one of them went back to Zechariah 9. Oh, the prophecy. Your king is coming to you gentle and lowly riding on a, a donkey. I wonder if it clicked with any of them. <gasps> He's the one. I wonder if any of them started to expect that they would see him riding on a donkey very soon when he said these words. I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's key. It's got to be from our heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I love the Greek rendering of that word easy, or it, maybe it's fitting. Uh, maybe it's the word light, but it means fitting. My, bird, my yoke is fitting for you, and if you will take it and be yoked up with me, Jesus is saying, and watch me, watch the way I live. I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and if you do that, if you follow that from the heart, that's the way you're going to find rest for your souls. They wanted Jesus, their Messiah, to come riding into Jerusalem on a white horse because a horse was a symbol of a warrior. So many times that's what I want God to do in my life. God, would you just ride in on a horse and make this all okay right now? And no, that's not the way. Yoke up with me, watch me. I'm gentle and lowly. And if you learn from me, from me, you'll find rest for your souls. He came on a donkey because he's a, a peaceful king. And he came to show us how to have peace in our hearts. And someday, as we're talking about on Wednesday nights, someday he will ride on a horse, a white horse. And he will be that final, that the he is, he is, he is the warrior king. But right now, he's showing us how to war against our enemies in the invisible realm. And the only way to do that is to humble ourselves. But someday, he will ride on a white horse and take vengeance on all of our enemies. And what a day that will be. We've been talking about that on Wednesday nights. The ultimate, deliberate humbling of any human being is to humble oneself to realize this Jesus is not just a historical figure on a donkey. He's not just a Holy Week postcard with a palm branch. Oh, no. He's a Savior, and he wants to be Lord. Someone said to me recently, you know, at one point I accepted Jesus as my Savior, but eventually I had to take him as my Lord, my Lord. That's a deliberate act of humility. 
That is the, the ultimate act of humility because it's an affront to um, the humanistic mindset to not believe that we, to believe that we don't need a savior, that we don't need a Lord, a king to rule over us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for showing us the way. Jesus, you were so deliberate about how you humbled yourself all the way to the cross. You even said, no one takes my life. I give it freely. That was deliberate. Jesus, will you help us to follow your example? Will you help us to humble ourselves? Will you help us by the power of your Holy Spirit to live humbly, lowly, and gently so that we can find rest for our souls? We need rest, Lord. We, we need rest in our minds, in our spirits, and in our souls, and in our bodies. Thank you for coming to save us and bring us into rest this true spirit rest, the spiritual rest of knowing we are loved, we are rescued, we are delivered, and we are ruled by the greatest king of the universe who rules with righteousness, the ruler of peace. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would show each of us how to deliberately humble ourselves this week. And those places we are worked up, where we need to come into rest, would you show us how to humble ourselves so that we can find that place of rest? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may be dismissed.